Welcome to the Short Term Show, the show about short term rentals and long term wealth, with real property owners hosting real properties who are crushing it in the vacation and short term rental space. And here's your host, Avery Carl. This episode of The Short-Term Show is brought to you by The Short-Term Shop. 30-year fixed mortgages, tax benefits, and long-distance management training made easy are just a few of the perks of owning a short-term rental. The Short-Term Shop can help you buy and learn how to manage your property from anywhere in the world. Just go to theshorttermshop.com and click Get Connected. Again, that's theshorttermshop.com, and we are brokered by eXp. See y'all over there. Hey guys, welcome back to the Short Term Show. Today we have a super cool guest, Chris Larson. He is the founder and principal of Next Level Income, also the author of a book by the same name. He has been investing and managing real estate for over 20 years, so he has uh, been around for a while. He's seen it all. I, I'm sure he has. I'm going to ask him a lot of questions about that. And he's done a lot of things, short-term rentals, uh, commercial office building investing, car washes. So I've got a lot of questions uh, around a lot of this stuff. So Chris, let's get started. How's it going? I'm great, Avery. Good to see you today. Yeah. Good to see you too. Thanks for being on. Absolutely. My pleasure. Yeah. So let's start off with you. Just tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and how you got into real estate. Yeah. Yeah. So I bought my first property at age 21. I'm a little older than that now, as you kind of alluded to. Thank you very much. Aren't um, we all? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I've seen it all, but I've seen a lot. And part of the reason is when I was younger, my parents were both in the real estate industry. My father was a contractor. My mother worked for a construction company called J JD Construction, which was Jimmy Dean's business. Um, you know, People that are my age might rec remember J Jimmy Dean sausage in the morning uh, with the commercials and everything. So I remember. Okay. I was both. like, I know that yeah. name somewhere. Yeah. Um, and actually <laughs> my father went to work for them as well. And I distinctly remember them both losing their jobs during the savings and loan crisis in the early nineties. So I, I saw that, you know, I saw the slowdown that happened after nine 11. Um, I, I had a portfolio of single family houses going into the great recession and, you know, coming out of that, you know, figuring out how to kind of revamp my portfolio and looking how to optimize it um, is when I got into commercial real estate here about 10 years ago. But all along the way, I like some of you listening, you're trying to figure out how to, how to grow your capital so you can acquire more assets. And I spent 18 years alongside my investing career in the medical device industry as well. So did that um, for uh, almost two decades. And then uh, a few years ago, right right after COVID kind of let up, I decided that uh, this was uh, this was going to be um, my full time endeavor. I have two young boys, and I want to spend more time with them. I spent twelve years of my life on call in the medical device industry, and that was enough for me. Gotcha. I hear you. I've never been in anything medical, but the being on call thing, I totally understand. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, you got you got to be ready when your clients or patients need you. So totally absolutely. Good. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So you've done it. I mean, I won't say everything, but looks like damn near everything in the real estate investing space or real estate space at all. So let's start with short-term rentals since this is the short-term yeah. show. So you're in Asheville. You've got two there. Tell us about that. I do. Yeah. So we bought a property, a, a piece of land um, about nine years ago. And I'd started to do some research on short-term rentals. You know, Airbnb was just starting to be a thing. I thought, okay, this is a cool way that I could probably supplement 
our income. Um, Asheville, people love to visit. Uh, we love to have our family here as well. My wife's an architect. So when we built our house, we actually moved into our house um, just here in the last two years, we have two short-term rentals on our property. And those short-term rentals actually pay for all the expenses of our property, which is really nice. But we've incorporated them so that we have a place for our guests to stay. Some of our best friends are coming today with their two daughters and staying in uh, one of our properties here. And then we also have uh, the other one as well. So if you know family comes to stay, friends comes to stay, it's great. The thing is, if you have a house and you have a family, maybe you use it one weekend a month, but you want to have that space. Well, I'm an engineer. I love to have usable space. I'm kind of a minimalist. And I want. I told my wife, I was like, I want to have all the space in our house to be able to use every day. So not only is it nice to be efficient with the space that we have to be able to rent that out, but it provides a great financial um, cushion here. You know, it allows us to pay for, you know, a big chunk of our expenses. Also, it gives us a tool. My boys are soon to be 11. And actually when this airs, he'll be 11. It's right around the corner. Um, and my older son will be 13 um, shortly after this airs. So it's nice to be able to teach them things. They, they clean, they help out with some of the management of the properties. They get to see kind of how mom and dad run a piece of the real estate business. It's very easy for them to see that versus, you know, I can't always fly them with me. Um, you know, like say down to Florida where we have uh, a few properties and, and take them down there because um, they're in school and those sorts of things. So not only is it um, a great little business, but it's also a great tool from a teaching perspective for our family as well. So your kids are a little bit older than mine, but I've already thought about this because I just, yeah. I'm a planner way off in the future. I'm like, we're going to do this and we're going to do that. And the kids are going to do this. And of course they're going to do whatever, whatever they want to do. And I'll be, yeah. whatever I say is out the window, but have you ever thought about as they get a little bit older, like maybe 16, 17, 18, actually letting them take over like the guest communication, like the running of the Airbnb as a job rather than, you know, going and getting a job, like working at a store or a restaurant or something. Absolutely. I love that idea, Avery. So um, one thing, you know, if, as you, as you grow your portfolio, as I talk about in my book, which I don't think we mentioned this, but if you want to get a copy of my book, you can grab it for free on our website, nextlevelincome.com. Just click on the book link. I will even send you a copy. Um, and when it comes to children, you know, at the, at the end of the book, I talk about generational wealth and we actually have tips on our website as well, talking about how to teach your children. Um, but you know, one of the things that I talk about in there is, is talking about money. You can also get that on our website, nextlevelincome.com forward slash kids. All this is free. Five tips on how to teach your children. And one of the tips in there is teach your children how to run a business. And a lot of people might hear that and say, this is overwhelming. But if you're listening and you own real estate, think about incorporating your kids into the management aspect of that, because you can't always give your kids money without having it in a taxable situation. Um, you can't always pay your kids if it's not um, uh, legitimate, right? So as soon as they're old enough, get them doing things. They can they can clean our Airbnbs and we can pay them for that. They can help restock the Airbnbs. We can pay them for that. I don't think they're quite old enough, but yeah, in about two years, I think they'll be old enough and they'll be able to figure out the technology and handle the communications. Or if we're out of town and, and they're here, they can let people in and do those sorts of things. I think that's a fantastic idea, Avery. Yeah. Yeah. I've thought about it too. Cause like I played very competitive soccer in high school, so I couldn't have a job because I was always right. at soccer. Right. There was no, well, obviously Airbnb yeah. and all that didn't exist back then, but there was no yeah. way for me to keep up with having shifts or anything like that because of yeah. practices and individual lessons and being out of town and stuff. 
So, yeah. so I do wish that I'd been able to have a job in high school looking back because it took me a little while in college to figure out how to enjoy working hard at actual work. I liked working hard at soccer, but I did not like, you know, yeah. working. And now I love it. Now I'm a, a kind of a workaholic, but um, back then I wish I'd had a way to have a job and this would have been or would potentially be for another kid in that same scenario, a way to be able to learn how to work and to learn how to be professional yeah. and communicate professionally without having to go to shifts and things like that. So I'm always yeah. thinking about, you know, that kind of stuff. I think Way it's great. Early. And no, I, no, I think it's fantastic. Um, and it's, it's not too early, right? Because as I talk about my, my five tips there um, for, for kids, we actually put this in a, in a parenting book as well. Um, I was invited to write a chapter on parenting and we talk about, you got to start early talking to children about money. Now that doesn't necessarily mean, Hey guys, this is how much mom and dad make or how much we're worth or, but they can look up and see how much you pay for your car on the internet. They can see how much your home is worth on the internet. They can see these things. They can figure these things out. There's nothing wrong with talking about when you go to the store, how much things cost talking about, you know, how mom and dad work trade time for money, for instance, right? You can start talking to your kids about that. Take them to the bank. We pay our children, but we don't call it an allowance. We call it a salary. So they get paid a dollar a day. They help out and do their with their responsibilities around the house as part of the family, right? But then they also have an investment account. So they get to see that statement every month. And it kind of blows their mind because they're earning more usually in that investment account than they are in their quote unquote salary, right? So we're teaching them about investing early. And I incentivize them to grow their savings so they can invest. Because every time we went to the bank, the, our family rules say 50%. That means they put say $15 of their $30 a month salary, which by the way, they don't always get it. You leave the lights on, you're not going to get your dollar for that day. You're disrespectful to your mother or father, you're not going to get your dollar for that day. You know, you don't do your laundry, those sorts of things. You got to show up and work, right? These are good life lessons. But let's say you save $20, I'll match $20 for you in the bank. So instead of earning $30 that month, you get another 20, you earn 50, you get to keep, um, of course, 40 is going in the bank. So we incentivize that and that teaches delayed gratification as well. So a lot of things you can do with your kids at a very early age, and they can start understanding this stuff, you know, four or five, six years old. Awesome. Yeah. That's a, a rabbit hole that I didn't realize we were going to go down, but very, very valuable. I think a lot of people listening to this have kids that are getting to the age of maybe needing to get a job, things like that, or just that you want to learn, teach them about money. You know, it's a lot of stuff. Yeah. Uh, you've got an MBA from Virginia Tech. I've got an MBA and I didn't learn anything about personal finance, anything about saving, anything about taxes no. in any no. of the college or high school that I went to. Yeah. So got to teach those things that they're not going to learn in school. So I think that's really absolutely, smart. absolutely. Entrepreneurs will save this world. I agree with that. And I, and the world is getting more entrepreneur focused. Like there are so many more opportunities now with the internet than there were, you know, 20, even 10, even five years ago. Um, Absolutely. So it's, it's very cool. It's very cool to kind of watch everything unfold. And now I'm starting to feel like my mom, like she can't even sign into her, her Apple ID without help. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> Hey guys, if you're enjoying the content of our podcast, but you have additional short-term rental questions, we host a weekly live question session that you guys can join for free. It's at 1 p.m. 
Eastern on Thursdays. And if you head over to strquestions.com, you can sign up. So not only am I the host of this show, but I also own and manage my own properties. And I'd be happy to answer any questions that you have about short-term rental investing. So please join us anytime for a free weekly live Q&A on Zoom. Sign up at strquestions.com. Well, all right, let's let's switch gears here really quick. So sure. you've done a lot of other things in real estate besides short-term rentals. So let's talk about that. So you've done first, we I know you do commercial. We'll, we'll get to that in a little bit. Let's talk about the yeah. uh, investing in distress or buying distressed debt. What is that? Yeah. What does that even mean? Sure. Yeah. So this is something I explored around the time that, that we started getting into multifamily invest investments and multifamily or apartments. So buying distressed debt, so you can go and you can buy a mortgage from somebody. So this happens all the time. Mortgages are traded. You can buy a mortgage. Well, some people may say, well, Chris, why would you want to buy a mortgage that's quote unquote distressed? So it's kind of like somebody that says, well, why would I want to buy a distressed property? You want to buy a distressed property because you get it at a discount. Maybe you got to fix it up. Maybe there's some issues with it, um, but there's some value that you can create in there. You can do the same thing with notes or mortgages or, or, or debt, this distressed debt that we're talking about. So about 10 years ago, we were able to buy pools of distressed debt for you know, somewhere 10, 15 cents on the dollar. So if you buy a note that is distressed, maybe it's a second uh, lien on a property and somebody owes, say, $10,000 and you're able to buy that for $1,500. Now, maybe you have to buy 10 for the numbers to work. You know, So you buy 15, $10,000 notes for $1,500 a piece, and maybe half of them don't pay off, right? Maybe half of them don't pay off. But if the other ones pay off, even if they pay off 50%, you can make significant money if you are uh, if you have a business to do that. So I, we had a partner that we invested with and that partner went and they worked out the mortgages and did those. The nice thing is, um, you know, if you're buying notes and debt, you don't have to worry about tenants and toilets and those sorts of things. Um, it's a little bit harder now, Avery, to buy uh, notes at a big discount. Um, you know, but I think as the, as the real estate cycle comes around, I talked about the real estate cycle in episode 100 of my podcast, how we go in 18 to 19 year cycles, kind of 18 and a half year cycles. As we come out of the other side, there's going to be people that default on their mortgages again, and banks are going to be selling these mortgages because they're going to be writing them off. They're going to want to get them off the books. And you know, if you understand how this works, you can pick up these notes either locally or you can buy pools of them from banks as well. Work them out, rehab them like you would a property, and there's there's uh, can be significant value in that. So if you want to do something like that, because I've never looked into this, I've heard podcasts on it here and there just that were episodes of podcasts that I listen to every week. Yeah. If I want to go buy a note, like I'm going to get into note investing. Where do I do that? Like, where do I go? There's, there's not an MLS for notes, I imagine. So if I want to do that, who am I calling? Yeah. I mean, you, you can find lists of lists of mortgages for sale. The thing is, it's like, if you want to get a good deal on a property, you don't go to the MLS, you don't go to LoopNet. You want to go direct to the sellers, right? So you want to find sources of, of people. So you want to find the distressed seller and again, typically the sellers of these are going to be banks. So if you can go to banks, they're going to sell you a pool of these mortgages. It's called a tape. And you can buy a pool of these mortgages. You don't know what's on it all the time, but you can buy a pool of these mortgages. Again, you know, you have to kind of play the numbers game and do that. And you know, where you start is you go to the, the loan department of banks and you work your way up and find out, hey, you know, are you guys selling 
mortgages, I'm interested in buying these. Um, you know, you might have to come to the table with say a million dollars to buy a large pool of these mortgages and then you can sell them off. And again, it's a business, you know, so you can either find somebody that's doing that, or you can go and do that for you, or you can find somebody that's working them out because let's say somebody goes through them, they, they work out through them and they say, okay, you know, I, I bought this, I bought this note for 20 cents or 25 cents on the dollar. I'm willing to sell it for 50 cents on the dollar. They'd get to double their money and they could sell it to you. You could still buy it at a discount and make, you know, 10, 15, 20% on your money in a, in a fairly passive way. That's really fascinating. I've never looked yeah. into that too much, but it's always, yeah. it's always fascinated me. I hate to say fascinated twice in a row, but that's the word I'm going to use. Fascinating. Um, yeah, it's fascinating. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Okay. So I have a lot of questions too about investing in car washes and cash oh boy, flowing yeah. businesses. So two yes. weeks ago, we had an episode come out with Kim Daly, who is kind of, I, know Kim, I don't know if yeah. this, yeah, yeah. She's kind of like Kim's a broker a of, mine, yeah. of franchises. Mm -hmm. And yeah. we got a bit, really great response to that. Apparently a lot of people are really interested in that kind of stuff. So talk yeah. to us about that. Like what kind of businesses sure. cash flow the best? What are you looking for? There are car washes yeah. popping up everywhere in my town, by the way. So I th I'm thinking that might be like the new money laundering thing, but uh, I don't know. Maybe <laughs> whoa, it's whoa, a good whoa. Investment. Well, okay. So first <laughs> off, that's not, that's not why we're buying car washes. Um, but sure. Breaking Bad is a fantastic series. So um, if you haven't seen Breaking Bad, it's definitely worth watching. Then you'll get the joke there. Totally. But so I think if you look at where we are in today's real estate market, the residential market, things are expensive, rates are high, it's hard to make properties cash flow. Um, even you know if you look at the cap rates in the in the commercial market where we focus on our syndications, multifamily, self storage, you know cap rates are low. It's harder to make deals work out, especially when you're getting loan to values that are in the 60s instead of the 70s. So you have to be conscious of all those things. I've been saying this for a couple of years now. I think operational real estate is going to outperform this decade. So we're a couple of years into this decade, but I've been saying this for a little while now. Operational real estate, like short-term rentals, right? That have an operational component. Senior housing, like assisted living facilities that have an operational component. Car washes have an operational component. What do all these businesses have in common? They are a real estate business that is successful due to the operations. So if you look at it like that, you can get favorable financing because of the real estate, you get favorable depreciation because of the equipment and the real estate with these. Um, I, I love real estate because of all the benefits that we can get from that. But the operational component leaves some inefficiencies that then you can go in and you can improve. And my book's all about the value add strategy. And we employ the same value add strategy when we go and buy car washes. Now, why express tunnel car washes specifically? Okay. People, if you're listening, raise your hand if you wash your car yourself by hand, if you're listening. Okay. So there you go. Avery's shaking her head. No. So by and large, people are leaving their driveways to wash their car. They're not washing their car as much anymore. They'd rather go down the street and go to the car wash and have it done. It's going to take about 15 years to build out enough car washes till we hit capacity. So yeah, they're going up in a lot of areas, Avery, like all over the place, because there is a bit of a rush right now to get them built, get them up and running so they can be profitable here before you know the market's saturated. Some markets are saturated. That's the number one thing you got to look out for. Uh, number two, 85% 
of car washes are owned by what I would call mom and pop, small operators that own four locations or less. So four locations or less. Only 15% of the market is owned by large, large groups that have five or more locations. So there's a lot of inefficient operators that are out there. You know, whereas you look at the multifamily, the apartment markets, we're dealing with the exact opposite, the inverse, where 85% of the market is owned by large or institutional players. There's not as much, you know, there's not as much inefficiencies, right? It's a pretty efficient market. You can still get good returns, but it's not, there's not as much meat on the bone, so to speak. Okay. Number three, private equity groups are getting into the space. So if you can buy from a mom and pop operator at eight times multiple of EBITDA, and you can sell to a private equity group at a 12X or 16X, excuse me, multiple of EBITDA, that is a big increase in your exit price. And these are great cash flowing businesses. I looked at buying one years ago with my uncle. We went through the whole due diligence process. One of my coaching clients had a couple locations. I saw how phenomenally profitable these are. So they have high cash flow. You can increase the value of them by increasing the monthly memberships, improving operations. You know, you have a lot of efficiencies from the, the chemicals you use to the spray angles that you use. And they're also very environment, they're environmentally friendly, way more um, efficient to wash your car in a wash than at home. So if you're free, if you're like, oh, these are, these are bad for the environment. It's better just like washing your dishes in a dishwasher is better for the environment than washing by hand. It's very similar to that. So for our investors in these deals, they get really nice cash flow. They get nice tax benefits through the depreciation and they have the upside as we roll these individual locations into our larger portfolio. We have about two dozen locations um, right now as we record, as we um, uh, air this episode. Okay. Now I'm just, I have so many questions. I've been writing them down <laughs> and I'm thinking about it. So let's say I say, I'm going to go buy a car wash. Yep. Where yep. do I find a car? Or do I just walk into car washes and say, Hey, you interested in selling this thing? Because you mentioned, and sure. as I well know, being an apartment investor, LoopNet is where deals yeah. go to die. Crexy's better, but um, you know, you can't. It's really difficult to just find a good commercial mm -hmm. deal like right out there on LoopNet. So, what are you doing to find yeah. these things? Okay, so the first thing you have to ask is what type of car wash you're going to buy. Personally, I own a car wash here locally. It's a touchless in bay, so you pull your car in, and it just it's like a robot that runs around your car and washes it. A lot of people that are listening probably are familiar with something like this. There's express tunnels that you you pull in and it pulls your car through the tunnel. It takes say you know two, three, four, five minutes to wash your car. Um, there's full service where you you pull up or you pull in, and you know you have a team of individuals that are washing your car. People that are washing your car. Um, you could even call for full service somebody that like the gentleman that comes to my house and details our cars. So first you have to ask what type of wash you're going to buy. Second thing you have to do is ask yourself, okay, if I'm buying something like a full service or express tunnel, who's going to operate it, right? You don't want to be that mom and pop that's not, not doing an efficient job to operate it. So you either have to have a team already, or you have to say, maybe you invest in a franchise where they help you build a team and do that. Um, so that's the second thing, or, or you got to build your own team. That's what we did because Unlike an apartment, like we were just talking about Avery, even short-term rentals were now like I can go to my friend, a couple of my friends' companies that that manage short-term rentals. I can I can go find good short-term rental operators. You can't find a lot of great operators in the car wash business that don't own their own washes themselves, right? So we'll sell you one of ours if we have too many in one location. So 
to answer your, your question, your actual question, business brokers are good. Business brokers are good people that are in the, gotcha. the industry. So you call business brokers and say, Hey, this is what I'm in. This is um, where I'm interested. This is the type of multiple I'm interested in paying, you know, bring me opportunities that are coming out and look, mom and pops, people, there's always families that are interested in selling their business because, you know, their kids might not, might not be willing or able to run the business and they'd be happy to sell it at a, at a reasonable multiple. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. So car washes are good. What other types of businesses make that kind of sense and what you're looking for when you're investing in cash flowing businesses? Yeah. So uh, self-storage, we have a very similar strategy in our self-storage business. So we're buying individual locations. We're rolling them up under our mod box storage across the country. So that's something else that you can look at. So if you're saying, hey, we want to buy individual locations that are nice cash flowing businesses that we can increase the exit multiple through a roll-up strategy, a portfolio portfolio strategy, that's very similar. Um, I also mentioned uh, senior housing, so like residential assisted living. That's another one that I think is out there. And again, you have to look at a couple different things. One, you have to look at the long-term trends, the demographic trends behind a business. You don't want to be in a business that is is slowly dying, right? You want to you want a rising tide. You want to be in a great area. So all the same metrics that we look at when we buy apartments, you know, you want to look at all these metrics: population growth, job growth, all these different things. The car wash is way different than apartments because you have a different customer that's coming through there. Um, I, you know, there's anything with monthly recurring revenue can be an opportunity that's out there. My uncle used to run alarm comp- an alarm company and there are private equity groups that are interested in buying alarm companies. So, you know, if you say, hey, what, what are memberships that are out there that I pay? That's monthly recurring revenue, right? So it's very, it's the same thing as rent, right? There's, you're just paying a monthly recurring rate for a different product. I want to highlight something you said about making sure you're choosing the right business and the right demographics in an area. And actually it reminded me of a scene back to the kids. My daughter, like most daughters is a huge frozen fan. And there's a scene in the first frozen where Kristoff and Anna, they're in a blizzard and they go into this guy's like convenience store type thing. And he said, yeah, guy who owns it's like yeah business is kind of bad right now with the weather like this and then Kristoff is like you think your business is bad with the weather like this I sell ice for a living I can't sell anything so you have to make sure that you're not living in the blizzard and trying to sell ice right so how do you how do you like how do you decide okay this is the type of business in this market that I want to invest in do you choose the market first do you choose the type of business first how does that work yeah so I think first you take a step back okay so if if you've known me long enough, you know, I got into the medical device industry because of the demographics. So just, just take a step back and look at the trends that are happening in the country. Okay. So if 20, some 20 plus years ago, you're get, you're looking for an industry, what industries would be good to go into? It'd be industries that were fueled by the baby boomers, right? The largest demographic in history up to that point. Now it's millennials. They're more spread out, but they're a bigger generation. So back then, baby boomers, okay, baby boomers are aging. What are they going to need? They're going to need surgery, right? So you're going to need surgery. Okay. They need surgery and they're having more surgery and they have more money and they're living longer than any other generation. That's probably a good industry to go into, right? Also at that time, 
I would have said things like the financial industry would be good to go into. Okay. Cause they need financial planning. So today, if we're looking at millennials, you can also look at baby boomers. I mentioned senior housing, 10,000 turning 65 every day, anything revolving around that demographic is going to have a very positive demographic trend. Okay. Short-term rentals, millennials, the sharing economy, millennials are more likely to use Airbnb than say a hotel, right? So that's a great, that's a great business to go into. What else are millennials purchasing or using on a regular basis? Go and look at some of those trends that are happening out there and see where they lead you. These are going to lead to business opportunities that are going to be out there. So start with the demographics. Geographically, you typically want to own and buy in an area that has growing population. In my book, I call it the rising tide. You want a rising tide of trends and demographics, both nationally as well as geographically, to help you out. So, you know, money, population growth, those are going to be the lifeblood to pretty much any business that you have out there. Okay. So what you're saying is use a little bit of common sense. <laughs> but most too. people don't. Most people don't. But Let me give you right. an example, Avery. So we moved here to Asheville. Okay. And we bought in what happened to be the hottest area in town. People are like, wow, you got, you were super lucky. I'm like, what do you mean I was lucky? Well, you bought, you bought in this area, Asheville. Why did I buy in that area, Asheville? I just went on the city's website. They tell you up out to 2035 right now in 2022, they tell you where they're going to invest in infrastructure over the next 13 years. Is that luck or is that just using the resources that are out there, right? It's very easy to find this information. It's amazingly, it's, it's amazing how easy it is to be successful. You just, you just stop, you do some research, you, you, um, learn a skill or follow somebody that's done that before. And then you do what you say you're going to do. And you just try to improve a little bit on that, but the information is out there in, in all of this stuff. And, you know, I don't swing for the fences. I'm a value investor. So I'm looking for value add opportunities that I can buy a cash flow business at a reasonable multiple with reasonable leverage and run it, improve it and sell it out the backside, just like Warren Buffett or Benjamin Graham would do. Great advice. So we've got time for one more concept here that I wanted to go into yeah. that you have experience with before we run out of time. And that is the concept of infinite banking. Yeah. We have talked about that a little bit on the show before, but more in the sense of like what it is and explaining what it is sure. than how it's applied. So yeah. how are you applying? Well, first let's give a brief definition of it for people who might not have listened to sure. those previous episodes and then tell us how you yeah. apply it to your investing. Yeah. So if you want to go in depth, check out our website, nextlevelincome.com. Click on the banking website. We have a white paper that we put together as well as a video up there that you can go through. It's more, it's about a half an hour. It's more in depth. So I was licensed 20 years ago, worked for State Farm. I got relicensed during COVID because I needed, needed something to do here. And infinite banking is a concept that was uh, introduced in, in the book, Bank on Yourself. And Nelson Nash put this concept together. And what it is, it takes, it takes insurance contracts, specifically whole life insurance contracts, and it optimizes them to grow cash. Now, the cash value inside these policies. If you're a real estate investor, you understand life insurance. Let me explain. You buy a property, you put say 10% down, okay? Your mortgage is flat for say 15 or 30 years, and you can change the pay period on a life insurance policy, just like you can a mortgage, by the way. Well, what happens to the value of that property over time? It, it appreciates, it goes up and down, you know, in a squiggle, but it typically appreciates over time and your equity grows over time. Okay. So your equity grows, 
your mortgage is flat, the price of the property increases over time, um, you know, over, over large time periods. Life insurance, you buy term insurance, it's like renting a house. You rent, it, it's flat for a period of time, your rent, whether it's a year or five years or 10 years or whatever your term is on your insurance policy or your lease. And remember there's commercial leases, there's residential leases, and then it goes up and it usually goes up a lot more than your mortgage would go up, right? Right now, it's always cheaper to rent than buy. It's always been cheaper by about a third to rent than buy. It's cheaper to buy term insurance than to buy, except in the long run. And this is where the fallacy totally falls apart when you say buy term and invest the difference. That assumes that you don't have life insurance if you live long enough, okay? That is not the way wealthy people think and behave. So if you want to be wealthy, and you have term insurance, you need to look in the mirror and say, what am I doing? I'm not acting like a wealthy person. I'm acting like a poor person. And poor people listen to Dave Ramsey for financial advice. So you can turn off Avery and, and go listen to Dave Ramsey. Whole life insurance, the cool thing is it grows over time. And if you've ever taken out a loan on your home, you know that loan is tax-free, right? That home equity line of credit or that line of credit on your home is tax-free. You can reinvest that money in another property. You can go out and buy stuff with it too, but I would I would say you'd be better off investing it. You can do the same thing in life insurance. Now, here's the cool thing. Does the value of the property go down if you take money out of your home? No, the equity goes down, but the value continues to compound on top of the value that's there. It's the exact same thing in these infinite banking policies. And what we do is we blend that strategy that I just talked about with the real estate strategy. We call it the investment optimizer. And what you can do is you can... You can literally double your net worth overnight with these policies. You can have access to this cash, whether it's for investing or in case of an emergency, especially if you're a business owner and something like COVID happens and you actually keep growing your money inside these policies, typically around five, maybe even 6% a year. Um, my policies have grown on average 5.88% last time I checked. That is probably the best and easiest to understand analogy for explaining what uh, infinite banking is that I have ever heard because it took me several times of people explaining it to me for me to understand it. And if somebody had used that analogy the first time, I think I would have fully comprehended it the first time. So great job. <laughs> Thank you. Um, can I add one quick thing? Do we have time? Yeah, please do. So I, and, and look, that is why we put these resources together, why I got relicensed because I was very frustrated because my agent didn't teach me this. And when I learned about it, I was, I was really upset because I wasted hundreds of thousands of dollars of cash value because I didn't have them. I wasn't using the policies properly, Avery. The other problem I hear when people describe these is they say, oh, you're going to break even in five to seven years. Life insurance is not an investment. And these infinite banking or investment optimizer strategies like, like we call ours, it's not an investment. It is a tool. And here, let me explain. My friend's wife passed away three years after he got insurance, life insurance policy on her. She was in the army, passed away. Okay. So he got, he got a, a seven figure life insurance payoff. Do you think he goes and is like, Hey, look at the great return I got on my life insurance. The answer is no, no, that's no, he bought a, he bought protection for his wife. So if you're not willing to say, Hey, that we're going to look at that, like a return on investment, you don't talk about break evens. You look, you look at the cost of this insurance. You typically pay the full cost of the insurance in the first two years. You can, you can break down the cost of that insurance. I always ask people, do you need insurance? If the answer is no, probably not a good strategy for you. The second piece is here's what it's going to cost over the first two years. That's an administrative fees, sales commissions that go to the agents um, to set up everything. And then 
typically by year three, every dollar you put in the policy, you can take out, you can, excuse me, you can take out dollar for dollar. So you know what that fixed cost is to set this up. And that's why some people call it like a family bank or bank on yourself, or like Nelson Nash said, becoming your own banker, because you're literally setting up a bank that you can now use if done properly for the rest of your life. And it can also become generational. And when you do it that way, it's literally, it's breathtaking the, the, the numbers that you can achieve with this. It's, it's absolutely phenomenal. So you're telling me that you can take the, take a loan against your policy and go invest it in real estate. hundred percent, hundred percent. And guess what? It doesn't go in your credit report. You oh. don't have to get approval from a bank. You don't have to get a credit check or anything like that. We had a deal closed last week. I literally called, um, and, uh, I, I had, um, quite a large amount of money wired the same day on the cash value of my life insurance policy to get that deal across the line, literally within 24 hours. Typically, if you're dealing with this directly from, and we'd use kind of a specialized structure here where we add in um, a line of credit, which makes it really efficient. It makes it even less costly when it comes to borrowing. Um, but typically you have to wait like five days if you're dealing directly with a life insurance company. We've got it down so you can get that money same day if you need it. And again, if you got a great deal that comes across your desk, you know, Avery, sometimes you have to act very quickly and speed can really get things done. But I also don't like to have a lot of cash sitting around. I don't want to have a million dollars sitting in the bank getting eaten away at what, what, what are we saying? Inflation is now 8% when it's probably 10, 12, 15%. No, I want it. I want it to always be working for me. So it's a very efficient way. You can usually add one to two percent to your portfolio returns utilizing this um, investment optimizer strategy that we have. That's really fascinating. Again, with the word fascinating, I'm going to obsess over the fact that I said fascinate, fascinating, fascinated too many times on this podcast. That's what seven. I do. I obsess over seven, things I that I fucked up on like all day, every day. Sometimes in the middle of the night, depending on what it was. Like I, I'll wake up at two o'clock in the morning and be like, man. I forgot that person's name like 10 years ago. And it was really embarrassing that they caught me that I forgot their name. So anyway, insight into my psychosis. Uh, so <laughs> we're down to- It probably to is one of the things that makes you successful. <laughs> maybe, or it made me crazy. But uh, yeah, so we're, we're to the last three, three questions that we ask all of our guests. Sure. First one, what advice would you give 20-year-old Chris? Um, ooh, 20-year-old Chris. So, yeah. all right. Um I would say, um, go find somebody and like, I, I talk to a lot of people, Avery, but get a coach, find somebody that can be a mentor to you. Um, that that's doing what you want to do. I found a lot of people, but I really didn't find somebody that was actually doing what I want to do. I, I kind of looked and tried, but I was kind of all over the place. I should have hired a coach earlier on to really kind of help guide me. That's a great answer. And what advice, this is kind of similar, but slightly different. What advice would you give a new investor looking to get started today? End of 2022. Yeah, it, yeah it'd be the same thing. But again, don't, if if you say, okay, so you got a coach or you, you know, you're, you're looking for advice and you're going out to good sources there. But again, look at where the future demographics are going to be. Don't look at the last 10 years. Look at the next 10 years. Wayne Gretzky used to say, skate to where the puck's going to be, right? That's what you want to do. And you can literally predict the future when you use some of the things and the tools, the information that we talked about on today's podcast, Avery. Also really good advice. And last question, what is your favorite book that has impacted your mindset? 
Yeah. So it's, this is probably going to throw you a little bit of a curveball, but Lifespan is a book by David Sinclair. And David Sinclair talks about aging, not as an, inevit an inevitability, but as a disease. So right now, every year you live, you, I'm sorry, every four years we live, lifespan increases one year. So if you say, wait a minute, if I'm, if I'm going to live to be say 120, how would I live my life differently? How would I live my life differently? And I think if you're listening to this show, you probably are not the kind of person that says, oh, I'm just going to work in a job for you know 40 years and retire when I'm 65. So you're already thinking this way. Think bigger. Think about what your legacy is going to be. Don't think about how soon you can stop working. Think about how many people you can help and how you can continue to expand as you go. And that's the same concept we talked about with the insurance, right, Avery? Like, don't think, hey, I don't need life insurance, right? I'm gonna, no, I'm going to have so much money. I'm going to have, I want to make such a big impact. I need all the insurance I can get because I need to shield my estate from taxes or I want to set up a, a foundation or whatever it can be. If you were going to work and live twice as long or 50% longer, how would that impact your life? Lifespan is a phenomenal book by David Sinclair. Have not heard of that one. So great recommendation. I love when people yeah. recommend something that I've never heard of. Not that I know everything there is to know about books, but it well, gives me something to add to my list. Avery, that book is fascinating. <laughs> I see what you did there. All right, Chris. Well, thank you so much for coming on. If any of our listeners want to find you, follow you, buy your course, buy your book, where can they do that? Yeah. Oh, thank you for mentioning that. Yeah. So um, again, check out our website. You can get our book for free. You can check out the investment optimizer strategy for free on the website, but we also just launched a course. And I think um, you should have the link that you can share in the show notes here, Avery. Your audience is going to get um, $500 off the price of that course. Um, it's a new course, Six Figures of Passive Income Roadmap. We talk about a lot of the concepts we talked about today. You can walk through all that in eight weeks or less. And I guarantee you that it's going to help you find more money, create more wealth in, in your life, but also the wealth and the, um, the wealth in your future generations as well. Awesome. I will definitely check that out also. So we will have a link to that in the show notes. And Chris, again, thank you so much for coming on. You've really added a lot of value for our listeners today and we totally appreciate it. It's been my pleasure. Thanks for the opportunity. Yeah. See you later.